Partway through today's discussion, I described Richard Dawson's Nothing Important as harrowing. But I'm not sure that was the right word. For sure, Dawson's work calls to mind harrows, churning up frozen fields, snagging the blades on a rock, a big agricultural machine on the verge of collapse. But somehow, this tale of a child who didn't live seems celebratory, if always dangerously close to a total breakdown. But before I hand you over to Richard Dawson's bafflingly literate lungs and richly textured guitar strangling, let me explain temporary fandoms to any hapless listeners who may have arrived here by accident. We choose an artist and listen to their complete discography in chronological order, and then we try our best to share the experience with you. We've done this several times over, as you'll see if you visit our website at tempfans.com. This season alone we've covered Bjork, Sleater Kinney, McCluskey and much more. You can also listen with tunes if you follow the special Spotify link in the show notes, and we're looking into ways to make listening with music easier for season four, because frankly, why wouldn't you listen with the music? Anyway, it's always a pleasure to bring you one of my very favorite contemporary artists, and today is such a day. So let's get on with it, as we bring you the unique sound of Geordie singer-songwriter Richard Dawson. Hello there, welcome to Temporary Fandoms. We are heading towards the end now of season three. Season three. And um, yeah, I'm, we've done some some immediate stuff. We've done some really famous stuff. And hopefully today we're going to bring something, today and next week, we're going to bring something new to you that, as uh, Zoe will mention later, some of you might really like and love and adore, and some of you might find difficult, but bear with us. Trust me, I've gone through those emotions this week as I've listened to what we're going to listen to. Anyway, I am Ewan. I'm Nick. And today we have joining us, well, rejoining us, um, host of my teenage band podcast, which is heading into season three next, I think. Yeah, that's right. Here's Nick Taylor. Welcome back, Nick. Hello. Thank you. Um, you, if anybody on the social medias may have noticed that uh, Nick Taylor did um, pimp out the message he was on, the episode he was on, um, on his wedding day. So uh, thanks for that, Nick. <laughs> Podcasters never sleep. What can I say? <laughs> um, and rejoining us, um, well, I say rejoining us, uh, a, a podcast regular, um, Zoe Van Hess. Who you will also um, be able to hear in the one of the latest singles by Bloodwine or Honey. Uh, I believe it's called Attraction, featuring uh, well, someone called Katie Tunstall, but more importantly, the vocal stylings of Zoe Van Hess. Zoe, hello. Hi, how's it going today? Did I get all those? Did I get those details right? They're absolutely correct. Yeah, it is Katie Tunstall. Ooh. I don't do much on that one. I'm just doing a bit of backing vocals. So. Don't put yourself. Damn, that's my job. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, Zoe, welcome back. You have you, you last time you were on, you were basically you were bringing us um, ESG. Mm-hmm. Um, who are we going to be working our way through in the next two episodes? We are going to look at the work of Richard Dawson, who is from the United Kingdom, specifically Newcastle, and I think he's a very interesting artist indeed. Thank you. Um, I've mentioned this to someone. Everyone I've mentioned this to midweek has gone, what? I, they've either gone, Richard Dawkins or <laughs> Richard Hawley. Um, there's, been a lot of, there's been a lot of that going on this week. Um, there may be a slight change of format today. Hope We're just going to try out a couple of things. A few breaks and pauses will be in different parts. 
but you'll notice those as we go along. The next voice you hear will be Zoe, and we'll be back in a bit. Richard Dawson is a British musician from Newcastle. He plays the guitar. Now, I'm one of those annoying people who feels they've done their time with guitar bands and that this genre rarely has anything new to offer. And that's why I'd like to spend a bit of time with Richard Dawson here. Yes, he's a white guy with a guitar, but he's also a perfect example of a musician transcending genre, of being utterly in control of one's musical faculties and of working at your craft until you've perfected it. He's a shining example of what I mean when I say I want an artist who's pushing the limits, someone who takes a musical trope and gives it a good hard twist and or steers it in another direction entirely or simply does it their own way. If you've never heard of Richard Dawson, please don't let musical classifications put you off. He's been described as folk, unhelpful, avant-garde, too wanky, he's very down to earth, and left field. Fair enough. Strangely, Joanna Newsom is sometimes brought up by musical journalists when they're writing about Richard Dawson, even though they look and sound completely different. However, there is definitely a shared spirit in their music. Another reason why I think Richard Dawson deserves our ears is because the trajectory of his musical evolution is a beautiful thing to behold. It's such a pleasure to watch an artist grow as a singer and songwriter. When the Temporary Fandoms group delves into a discography, we're used to it going roughly like this. Blisteringly vital debut album, followed by a gradual, or not so, decline into, well, bobbins. It's not spoiling it to say that this one starts off fairly mediocre, goes off on a tangent, then arcs to an absolute pinnacle of... genius? Well, I guess that's for you to decide, but I don't throw the word genius around lightly. Quite simply, Richard Dawson made me like guitars again. If you're not that keen on guitars, then take heart. We're also going to immerse ourselves in another one of Richard Dawson's musical projects, Henogleth. More electronic and pop, with a good dose of electric harp in there. Overall, it won't be an easy listen. Think of it like hiking up a mountain. A fairly steep one, but nothing crazy. Hard and uncomfortable in parts, but ultimately worth it. I'd say it frequently requires headphones and your undivided attention. I'm not sure you can get away with having some of these albums on in the background. I believe you will get out of it what you put in. Marvel at the view from the top. My ideal outcome is to have one of you listeners walk away from this a proper fan, not just a temporary one. And it would be a bonus if the rest of you hate it. A lot of what we do at Temporary Fandoms is sort of like therapy, trying to work out the whys and hows when we really love something. I've recently been thinking about the idea of the musician as a conduit. It might explain that feeling that we get sometimes when we're confronted with virtuosity and feel nothing, and yet sometimes we're exposed to what people would consider outsider music and we feel everything. It's not just a weird flex, this outsider thing. Some of Richard Dawson's music speaks to me of higher truths, of things we already instinctively know, but just need reminding of or articulating. I hope you'll come down this woolly path with me. Album 1. Richard Dawson sings songs and plays guitar. 
released in 2005 on Downbeat Records. We start off with a somewhat unremarkable album. You'll have to track this one down on YouTube, I'm afraid. The clue to this one is in the title. He is clearly singing songs and playing the guitar. Quite well, in fact. From what I've read, Richard Dawson has dismissed this album as not being up to much. He's complained that when he first started making music, he couldn't sing and that he sang in a weird American accent. I'd be very happy not to be able to sing like this, but he does have a point with the odd accent. You'll be pleased to hear that it doesn't last. There are definitely Richard Dawson motifs all through this, but there's nothing much here that foreshadows what will emerge later on, which kind of tickles me. Opening up with I Will Make It Up To You, by the time we get to I Will Kiss You Goodnight, we can discern that the writing is fairly pedestrian, and in fact most of the tracks on this situate the album squarely in the modern traditional folk bracket, complete with whistling on Babes in the Wood. The song Jane inches us a bit closer to what comes after it, but it sounds like a copy of something. It's a bit Nick Cavey, as is Between the Long Grass. Kazali's Joy is a highlight for sure, but there's something inauthentic about this album for me. Like he's trying on the genre for size and he's not really sure that this is the music he wants to make. If you played me this album as an introduction to his stuff, I have to be honest, I would not feel that inclined to check out more. It's not my thing at all. It's a tiny bit corny and a little predictable. Still, it's quite popular among fans, so what do I know? That could be because once you know what Richard Dawson is capable of, you can look at this album in a new light. The Magic Bridge, released in 2011, originally on Pink Triangle with various re-releases on Box Records, Domino and Weird World Records. Here's a quote from Richard Dawson. Can I just say there's no way in hell that I'm going to attempt the Geordie accent? He says, I always loved singing, even when I was a kid. I was really big headed when I was a teenager. I used to think I was a brilliant singer and I used to tell people I was a real tit, but actually I wasn't very good. I was sharp and flat and singing in an American accent and just doing a bad Mike Patton impression for years and years. I only really learned to sing maybe around the magic bridge. Even then, I don't listen to the albums back much at all, but I heard the odd bit of it and I had problems with the singing already. After that record, I started thinking about it in a different way. I learned a lot from Phil Tyler and Sarah Hill, who's one of my best friends. It's about being yourself and singing in an unadorned style. There's a fine balance between really considering the sound that you're making while also being natural. So I feel like a real beginner again, in some ways. I've been doing it for a long time, building up strengths in certain areas, but you get to a point where you realise you know nothing. This is a low-key album. It's a total mood, so I don't think it's something you can force. Perhaps it would be wise to come to this one when you're in the mood for it. It's got a great album cover and it's such a contrast to the last one. This album is a mix of instrumental and vocal tracks. You can tell the songwriting has gone up a notch and it's way less predictable in form. The opener, Juniper Berries Float Down the Stream, takes its time to unfold, confident that it's going to draw you in rather than try to please you. Those discordant notes, or whatever the technical term is, make sure that it never descends into a folk comfort zone. Then there's Black Dog in the Sky. Wow, 
this is a step up. The emotion of wooden bag, it's all laid out, and that voice. Grandad's deathbed hallucinations is certainly a trip. There's such command of melody and narrative. The Bamberg Beast, hark at that guitar work, and consider my interest peaked. Some might find this overall a bit too quiet and intimate, but I imagine if this hits you at the right moment, or in the moment, it can be a rewarding listen. It does feel like something has been unlocked here on album two. But we're not going to stay here for too long. Let's move on to album three. Hello there, welcome back to Temporary Fandoms. Um, you have been listening to Zoe Van Hess talking you through, well, maybe less albums than you would have been used to. Um, but that's the format we're messing about with uh, this time. Um, still with Nick and myself. It, oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Still with Nick and myself is Nick. Hello. <laughs> and obviously Zoe. Hi. And obviously Nick. Hello. Uh, I'm just going to, if you hear me say things like Nick H and Nick T, uh, yeah, well, number one, you'll have heard this podcast before, and number two, you'll work out which one is which. Um, so, first of all, and this one is not on the Spotify, um, Richard Dawson, is it, wait, is it Richard Dawson plays songs and sings? Sing plays songs and plays songs. guitar. Richard right. Dawson does something with a guitar and something with songs. Zoe, yes. why is this not on Spotify? Um, I think it was quite an early release, and it is quite possible that maybe Richard Dawson doesn't really want it out there so much in that sense, because he has actually said he doesn't think it's that great as an album. Oh, that's fair. Um, because, because I think he's, he's kind of come along a lot since then, and it doesn't really reflect what he was trying to do. Um, but it's still available on vinyl, as far as I know. I think you can go and buy the vinyl. So. I guess it's maybe it's a bit of that sort of thing for fans only. Yeah, uh, no, that makes sense. We've, we've, we've actually come, we came across it before. I think when we did Neutral Milk Hotel, um, one of the early, uh, the Hype City soundtrack, uh, was he accepted being out there, but there was a previous one. They went, no, 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 no. That's nothing. Forget that. Forget yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. This is my new stuff. Sure. I, I, I'm, I'll give my first opinion is, yeah, this is not representative of what comes later. Um, so I could see that. Um, it's a nice piece of English folk songs, I guess. Um, yeah. I mean, the notes, I, the notes I've made are, um, it's fine. Um, I've got a couple of moments of sort of, there's a, there's a Daniel Johnston-y thing to it of, can he play the guitar? Can he sing? And then there's a nice little melody. And then there's a nice little bit. Um, and then it sort of drifts back into sort of, oh, yeah. I mean, if I was at an open mic night and someone was, and I heard this, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it's com- it has it's that competent. Vibe. Yeah, yeah, it's competent, isn't it? It's competent. He can obviously sing the sing the songs and play the guitar, and it it's just fine. Um, mm-hmm. But some people in the group really liked it. They were like, "Oh, this no, is nice." Did. Whereas for me, it's like mm, it's not it's I not think, up yeah, to I, much, really, is it? I think that's it. I think as a standalone, it's. It's fine. Uh, obviously, list, if you're listening to this pod and you're okay, we occasionally refer to the group. As you know, or some of you know, that's the Facebook group where this podcast started. All the links are in the things. You can find the things on the things. Uh, Nick runs the group. Um, he, he's, he's a bit of a dictator, a nictator. Um, and you have to deal with it. Come along. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's it. It's, 
It's fine. If it wasn't part of something I was supposed to be listening to, um, I'd go, that's fine. Um, I, if you told me this is a one-off album by your brother and he never made anything else, I'd have 100% believed you. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it has got, yeah. it has got that yeah. like every man feel about it, hasn't it? Yeah. It's like, um, and anybody who can sort of play the guitar or like pick up the guitar in uni can probably bash out something like this. But I must say there are a couple of motifs in there where you think, well, this is kind of, there's a little bit of a unique thing going on that I yeah. think he takes those things and he develops them further. And and that's why it's interesting within the context of this, um, the thing that we do, the, you know, the immersion where we listen to everything, because you can see the, the seeds there, but yeah. there's nothing really to kind of indicate where it's going to go. And I think that's really nice to have that as part of the whole. I think there's definitely some, I think you're right with some of these motifs and, and little threads. And we, you, we see this quite often when we're, we're catching a band's earlier stuff or unfinished stuff or non-representative stuff. I mean, even uh, oh, the title, uh, Heavy Flooding, the fact that there is a track called, with the idea about flooding, that is something that definitely comes back in well, five albums. Yeah. Uh, six mm, albums, yeah, seven yeah. albums. Time. Yeah. Um, groundwork is definitely laid. Um, Nick, new Nick, recently married Nick. Uh, my teenage, my teenage Nick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, incidentally, if you're listening, uh, Nick did put a shout out on uh, social media saying he's looking for teenage bands to follow. So, um, teenage Nick, <laughs> what, what do you what do you think of this? Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting because I I listened to this. I actually did everything kind of backwards. I listened to all of the stuff that's on Spotify and and all the Henogle stuff, and then I came to. Richard Dawson sings songs and play, plays guitar and doing it in that order was an absolute trip because you, when you hit, when you hit play on this album and you hear that first track, you're like, who is this guy? Like, this is just so much, so much more, yeah, polite and, uh, and conventional com- compared to, compared to all this other stuff. And, um, you know, I think I do, I do have, I have a bit of time for this, uh, for this kind of, uh, pleasant, folk music i don't i don't i don't hate it but yeah i think when you compare it to the the, the scope and the vision of what of what he goes on to do afterwards it is like it's, it's just so far removed and um i mean i agree like zoe like zoe was saying like there are tracks that that hint at hint at some at something to come and you know i think things like musically tracks like jane and uh, farmer's dilemma and uh, forest for example i think just have those sort of where it gets a little bit darker, both musically and and lyrically, but I think it, it it ends up being more in the like in the realm of sort of Nick Cave kind of thing, that kind of darkness than than the really far out experimental stuff that he would end up uh, going on to. So um, so yeah, I agree. It's a it's a sort of it's a it's a thing for curious completists, but not one that I'll be uh, going back to. Um, in a hurry, I don't think. I, I think that was it. I think you have hit on a good point. I mean, it's it's quite pedestrian and not in a negative way. It's a oh, here's someone that listens to John Martin albums. You know, it's 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 following a grand history of British. It, it, I'd say more British than say British and Irish, more British sort of folk music. Um, but it isn't taking it particularly in a direction which we are going to see later. Um, Old Nick, 
Yeah, I mean, it's anything all, to add? <laughs> not really. It's all it's all been said. Really. It's impossible to listen to this album without just looking for signs of what's to come, and and you can find them, but you wouldn't have you wouldn't have picked up on those things if you didn't know about everything else. And that's that's the you know it's it's interesting, but it's a, it's a sideshow on the way to great okay. things. Well, in that case, let's let's get on the on the bus towards great things. Um, and we're going to, uh, I hope I'm correct, Zoe, 2011 with the Magic Bridge? I believe so. I can check my notes, but I trust you. Good. Um, I think this, I mean, obviously, I mean, we're going to talk about this, but for me, this is when it starts to get, starts to get interesting. However, um, it's an album where someone is finding their voice. They're doing interesting things. It does feel a little awkward at times. There are things that I don't think quite work. I'm still not sure he can play the guitar. Um, but one thing I got strongly from this, and Nick is not going to be happy about this, is um, in terms of somebody singing and then out of nowhere, bell- bellows, I got a lot of Jeff Mangum. There was a lot doesn't, of neutral Milko Tell in here. You hated Jeff Mangum. Properly <laughs> I don't hate Richard Dawson, so I'm okay that you, you know, you can have that. <laughs> There was a, it was like properly unexpected chest roars would come out in the middle of lines and then sort of disappear again. Um, it was, I mean, I think what we picked apples in a garden, freshly mown mode. Graveyard. I think that was, a, that was, hmm? Graveyard. Not graveyard. Important yeah. distinction. Oh, graveyard, sorry. More corpses. I, I think that's, a, um, um, Nick, if you just, keep saying half a syllable every time I say half a syllable this whole bit gets edited out um, <laughs> that's the oh, plan yeah, okay so yeah okay yeah great I always get things wrong I think that was sublime um I do think there's some moments that I'm like I think he's good at the guitar but is it in tune uh I'm not sure where he's going with this um I liked it I found it difficult I found it interesting I'm not sure I'd be putting it on again Zoe you sort of Looked like you disagreed with my comment about him and his guitar prowess. He can play the fuck out of that guitar. It's just not <laughs> the way that you maybe conceive of it within Western style music. That's what I reckon. I think it, there's a very prescriptive thing about how guitars are supposed to sound, more or less, within rock music, with indie music. And I think that it would be very hard to recreate what he does if you just didn't know how to play the guitar. You could not walk up to a guitar and make those sounds with no knowledge. He's just playing it in a different way. And that's why I get a bit annoyed. I'm still not not sure because I'm not used to or comfortable at this point of listening through stuff. Um, When you said you had, when you said you, you, you you can't do that unless you can play the guitar. Um, This reference will go over the head of anybody below the age of 30. But I was immediately thinking of when I was a kid and I'd watch Les Dawson play the piano badly on on British TV and go, Mum, why why is that man playing? No, 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 you have to be really good to be able to to, do that. Yeah, yeah, you have to know the form in order to step outside of it. There's a really great quote from an article. I think it might be a review uh, in The Quietest that I will come back to later when we get to the album. But it does play around with that idea of like, can he play the guitar or is he just really like really good at playing the guitar in such a way that he's doing something new with it? And I guess that's up to you to decide. You know, if you really think it sounds like he can't play the guitar, then, you know, fair enough. But I don't agree with that at all. Do you think it's a type of guitar? 
I mean, if that was, if he was doing that with an electric guitar as part of some, um, a, I don't know, a Radiohead album or something that people consider to be indie rock you know, quality, I guess. Um, if, if somebody like uh, Johnny from Radiohead was doing that exact thing, but plugged in a Fender with feedback, would I feel totally, would I be there going, oh my God, look what he's doing with his axe. That's amazing. Is it, is it the type of instrument, is it rather than the instrument itself? I think it's a different, I think it would then become a different thing. I think the thing that he's doing is completely deliberate and he uses the same sort of cheap-ish acoustic guitar and he's playing the guitar in a way that kind of like embraces all those things. So, you know, like if you play the guitar or any kind of string instrument, you're always trying to stop the buzzing. You don't want those buzzing strings. You don't want the sounds of your fingers going up and down the frets. And, and he incorporates that into his sound, which I think is interesting because you're taught to kind of avoid those sounds. And he's, he plays with the sort of lower, buzzy kind of noises and uses it in a percussive way. And I've heard some people say, well, that's probably what guitars originally were supposed to sound like, you know, when we first had guitars in the beginning, way back then. So maybe I, I, it's I, a, yeah. I think you're right on that. It, um, it reminds me, I remember listening to an argument between two friends in the 90s, and I can't remember what we were listening to, but it was something relatively contemporary, some indie rock thing. And one mate was going, oh my God, that little bit of guitar in there is amazing. And the other one was like, no, I can't listen to it. Too many squeaks. Yeah. Too many squeaks yeah. and, and slaps and twangs. Well, maybe that's where um, it comes down to taste yeah. at, at, the, at, that, at this point. Uh, I, think it's, I think taste, but also being used to something. I mean, when something, they go, oh, wow, this is not what I've been taught to believe is good guitar playing. So therefore, exactly. exactly. Is it? Yeah. Um, I, as, as a caveat, I will, I, I, I'm happy to accept new forms of guitar playing. Um, you try playing a saxophone in a different way. I mean, I already hate the saxophone, but if you start squeaking on that, then... Oh, <laughs> See, um, I love I that. Love the- I love that. <laughs> So, You're yeah, going to love the just... Captain Beefheart immersion. Oh, yeah. Oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> I, I think I'm busy that day. Um... <laughs> that month? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I keep pulling it off. What yeah. um, are the Nicks? New Nick. Guess, guess, uh, guess go first. Um, do you think this is going somewhere by, at this point? Do you think, I mean, we, we had the pedestrian first album. Is this the start of something new? How was it, How was it for you? Absolutely. I ask way too many Absolutely. Um, I mean, you've for for a start, you've got hit what what becomes quite a popular uh, motif of his of of including lots of instrumentals uh, in an album. Obviously, this time that we we uh, we haven't quite met um, the uh, the famous experimental harpist yet at this point. So the um, so the, all the instrumentals are just carrying on of the the, the sort of the, the fuzzy finger picky stuff, um, but. Uh, but yeah, but it's when it's when we start ha- having these big sprawling, uh, these big sprawling seven-minute, nine-minute songs um, that that just seem to just go absolutely all over the place lyrically. Um, he starts getting a bit more kind of oblique and uh, story, and starts sort of threading little stories through through his songs. Um, but also, but I think, but there's a real warmth about this album as well, though. That I think it's sort of yes, it is a big step away from the, from the first album. But if you were to kind of 
if, if you were to kind of map out the trajectory of sort of accessibility in Richard Dawson's music, I think this album is still sort of on that side of, on the, on the side of accessibility, I think. Um, just be- just because of uh, just because of the warmth of that of that guitar sound and the the almost sort of to me it almost had a kind of delta blues kind of feel in a way um, you know I think some of this finger picky stuff if you or, or some of the melodies in in things like Black Dog in the Sky or Man Has Been Struck Down I think if you heard that played on, as part of some kind of like nineteen twenties thirties blues like rootsy bluesy recording, I think mm-hmm. it wouldn't sound out of place at all. Yeah, um, on that, I mean, I, these are my notes for the next album, but it's probably as good a time to do that now. Um, th- 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 we we use the word Americana for lots of modern bands, harking back to a sort of, you know, like Devandra Barnhart, uh, Sophie hmm. Stevens. There's there's Americana. We go, oh, it's Americana. There's some banjo. There's there's a sound. What's the English version? Because I I hear that what you were talking about the fact that you know there's but it's a sort of like an english folk version of americana if that makes mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. you know there is that sound that evokes something in the past but usually when we get think of folk that evokes something in the past it's popsichords and people dancing around outside a pub in the summer and annoying you you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> what is this <laughs> what what is is there a type is there a word for this we have a I'm genre wrecking my brains not sure Ang- Ang- anglocana it would just yeah. be folk, wouldn't it? It would be folk, but it's it's yeah. just English folk, isn't it? But I think mm. like the thing about this album is it's very much a mood. It's a mood thing. I don't think I think you've got to come to it, not it come to you, kind of thing. So you have to be in the mood for that kind of thing. Quite gentle, quite soft. I, I, it's definitely doing something new, um, and okay, you so- can see. So if you think he's doing something new, Ewan, but it's folk music, like what is it that he's doing that's new? Can you put your finger on it? Because I'm kind of struggling to work out. I think that I think there's a very traditional. I'm I'm lose, I don't have the the correct musical terminology here. Um, structure or or rhythm or time uh, to traditional English folk songs. Um, going back to your John Martins, who I've already mentioned and whatnot, you go, this is a folk song, there's a bit of an acoustic bit, there's a bit of her, there's a bit of a chorus, there's a verse here, there's a bridge here, repeat, 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 fiddledy, 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 acoustic, acoustic, and you go, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a folk song. Or you get the slightly um, ethereal ones, people ones, that are, um, who, who is the one that did? Diamond Day. Um, Oh, uh, Vasti Bunyan. Thank you mean? very much. Yes, um, or the Vasti Bunyans, that type of sort, the, 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 that type. But there's still song structures that are going in the way I think they're going to go. And more importantly, oh, we're at, an, we're at a musical, we're at an instrumental bit now. And I'm not, probably not going to be surprised by what happens. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm not going to be surprised by what happens. Whereas there are moments here I am surprised by where he goes. Going back to what I said about um, Neutral Milk Hotel earlier on, whether or not you're a fan of In the Airplane under, Over the Sea, there are certain tracks on there that there's a lot of, oh, there's some bagpipes, and oh, there's a guitar coming in. Where's this guitar gone? And I didn't expect this bit to go this way. There's a lot of that going on here. So yes, it's folk roots for sure. And maybe, maybe this is, there was 
spoke that sounded like this a hundred odd years ago. Um, I had a conversation very recently, brief aside, with um, uh, my wife, who's Irish, and a friend who's from Ulster, from Northern Ireland. And he was asking a genuinely good question, like, where's the English folk tradition that you get in some other country? Now, Ireland has this tradition of people in pubs who will all still, they all still know the song. It looks like a cliche, but I can go into a pub in Cork tomorrow, start singing a certain song, old, the old triangle or whatever, and people will join in. There is this long tradition. This tradition doesn't really exist in the most of the UK. Um, I think it doesn't. All I could think of, yeah, but this is it. All I could think of was, um, is it because of the Industrial Revolution, where everybody was basically dragged out of villages, they moved, to, they, they go into the city, the urbanisation happens, you get these brass bands prop up in, the, in, in various places, um, so that that connection with this song is gone, or is it something like the fact that? A lot of countries that have this, this, this strong tradition, it's, they're rebel songs. They're songs about being subjugated. They're songs about you know, fighting against something. That, that's what brings people together. It's hard to have that when you're the subjugator as a nation traditionally. Yeah, the oppressor. I, mean, I, think, it's detour, called, but... yeah, I think it's the oppressor. But... <laughs> subjugator to president. Subjugator. Subjugator. Yeah. <laughs> I went for assonance. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, you said, Nick, you said up north. Well, I think, I mean, I think it's because you've got that whole kind of Lancashire folk tradition, like from the 60s and 70s, and, and they're still kind that's of rebel songs. That's from the 60s songs. and 70s. That's from yeah. the 60s. I mean, is it so, are there hundreds of years that go back that everyone in, in the UK can tap, everyone in England, say, can tap onto us? This is part of our musical history. I'm not sure there is. I think we changed our society so much that we lost touch with something like that. And maybe Dawson stuff is that. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, interesting maybe. point. I mean, in Wales, you definitely, if you meet a Welsh person overseas, there are definitely songs that you could sing that you would all know. As to how, yeah. how far back they would go, I, I can't say, but I would say at least a couple of hundred years. Yeah, and I think that's the point. I mean, I've got Welsh friends, Scottish friends, Irish friends, and they all have this shared musical um, narrative, mm -hmm. I guess, that goes back and connects with something. Yeah. Um, I poor. I mean, all the songs I know that other English people could sing are the ones we sang at primary school, and a lot of those are either religious based, or like, or like, he's got the whole world in his hands. Maybe that's or, it. Uh, maybe maybe Britannia. Yeah. Or... <laughs> maybe that's it. Hymns, right? Hymns yeah. at a yeah, certain that's time. A big part of it. Yeah. yeah. It's like mm. there's a lot of lot of hymns that I could probably sing that might connect me with a couple of generations before. Yeah. Um, just from being in, like, you know, a British school. Yeah, yeah. totally. But, yeah, at some point that connection was gone. I mean, like, I think the, the longest thing we've got is maybe, you know, Yorkshire brass bands, colliery brass bands, you know, who are, at least they're a couple of generations harking back to, to something. But even then, most of the tunes they play are very, come from an imperial, imperialistic empire-type history. There's probably, you know, it's just... I know it's weird. I think maybe Dawson is tapping back into something that did exist in this format, uh -huh. but we lost. Uh -huh. um, yeah. This is probably a great time to mess with the format a little bit, um, but we're going to try and keep it as simple as possible. So you're going to hear from Zoe again in about five seconds. Album three, The Glass Trunk. Originally released in 2013, 
on Richie's own label, which I assume is a self-release, with re-releases on Alt Vinyl, Weird World and Domino Records. This album is the result of a museum project where Richard was asked to go into the Tynan Weir archives and have a route around. Then he was to come up with half an hour of music based on his findings. This is the result, though it ends up being an hour and 12 minutes long. Richard says, I spent the following month down there rifling through 200-year-old diaries, unfurling bundles of love letters like flowers, staring at the faces of petty criminals in old photograph albums, eating supermarket sushi suspended above Turbinia, saying every name in an orphanage registry under my breath, getting lost in a field where my house should have been, watching folk watch other folk over their spectacles, gingerly lifting leaves long folded with perfume, falling asleep in my chair of sun, drooling little spittle puddles onto a cracked map of Nunsmore. The stories I stumbled across were often painful, shocking, generally fascinating and occasionally joyous. They belonged to people living at a different point in time from us. At first they seemed so far away, but after a short while they began to move closer, or maybe it's we who are moving, and I start to comprehend, just barely, a great aliveness, past, present and future. I hope it's not didactic or leading for me to tell you the glass trunk is concerned with the functions and consequences of violence, as well as with opposing forces, creation and destruction, memory and time, birth and death, body and soul. There is another important theme throughout, family. Now, having heard that, you might think that Richard is a bit of a serious artsy type. Well, yes and no. The arty part is definitely evident in the work, which is always aiming high, but the work is also full of jokes and humour. So, to the album. It's a cappella songs written and sung by Richard, interspersed with instrumentals made with longtime collaborator Rodri Davis on harp. Rodri is a bit of an experimentalist harp legend, and this is not the last time we'll hear from him. There are some amazing tunes on this album, and I mean tunes as in melodies. They are unvarnished and raw, and I'll wager that poor old horse and ghost of a tree will worm their way into your consciousness. Once again, it's a bit of a mood album where experimental noodling and strong vocal and storytelling performances are the focus. It's folk, yes, but not as we know it. Richard Dawson seems to be able to do it in a way that is meaningful and connects the dots from the folk past up to now and into the future without being too much of a twat about it. Album four, Nothing Important, released in 2014 on Weird World. We'll kick this one off with a quote from music writer Paul Margery writing for Louder Than War. He says, it's like a classically trained black metal guitarist let loose on the Penguin Book of English folk songs and it is never less than thrilling. But never mind music critics, Richard is really good at talking about what he does. Here he is talking about songwriting. He says, there's a contradiction at the heart of it though, which is that you have to write about what you know. I try to write about things from my life in a way that is sending out rather than receiving. A song about, my heart is breaking, I believe this, I believe that, that's not going to cut the mustard really. It's not going to have that much value unless somebody's in the same situation. And then they might not feel so alone. And there's value to that for sure. But I think there's more to be achieved with a song. The expectations are so low with a song. It's become the most accepted form of music, but it's also the most derided. 
It's still a relatively young art form, and I think there's a lot more that can be achieved with it. It's important to keep pushing, because it's something that's so accessible. It's an art for people. It's not a highfalutin thing. It's something that's always existed as means to deliver the news. Hundreds of years ago, this is how people would hear the news from town to town, the great bardic tradition. It's an art for people. Whereas theatre, until recently, would have only been for the rich, and that's still true to a degree. Put the poor people way up in the heavens. So the idea that you're not doing justice to the form, but also not doing justice to the community that you're a part of, you're just singing about yourself, well, it has to be something grander. The idea that you would want to make something bog standard or average, I don't get that. Let's be ambitious, even if it really fails. Let's try and connect more, find new ways, change things. I don't presume for a second that that's what I'm doing, but I think that has to be part and parcel of the aim. It can't just be about entertaining or maintaining the status quo. Too many artists of all sorts, from what I can see, have got it too cushy and aren't pushing hard enough. Art as business is a very strange concept. This record, Nothing Important, is four songs, two of which go over 16 minutes, two instrumentals, two sung songs, one about drinking, the other about the imagined life of a baby who doesn't survive more than a week. Only 44 minutes of your time, if you please. Rodri is on this one again, but it's mostly Richard Dawson and his guitar and synths. For me, this is where things start to get really interesting. This is not someone setting out to write hits, but neither are they making self-indulgent compositions for their own sake. This is heavy, but not in a metal way. Personally, the vile stuff delivers everything I never knew I wanted or needed. The playing, the singing, the exemplary lyrics, everything is on point for me. You might prefer the Beefheartian romp that is Judas Iscariot, or get lost in the quiet but impassioned tale of nothing important. Doubting Thomas underpins the whole thing with pure atmosphere. Richard Dawson's musical influences are varied and might be informed by his years of working behind the counter at renowned record shop Alt Vinyl, sadly no more. What I hear in his sound is someone tying together disparate influences through their own unique lens. He says, it's not folk music, I call it ritual community music, and I'm more interested in experimental music. So is it just me? Or has he nailed this songwriting lark? If you stayed with me this far, can you see the progression and development? Well, hopefully you can, and it doesn't stop here. Um, okay, so uh, Zoe just took us through another couple of albums, um, and we're moving on to 2013 and The Glass Trunk. Um, I mean, most of the comments I've written down for this, I, I talked about in the previous segment about Americana and sort of, it'll be put down as weird folk. This would be on a weird folk album, right? I'm sure there was, there were complicate, complications, compilations called weird folk. And then this, oh, this right. would fit right in there. Or, or, or am I, again, missing the target as normal Zoe? No, I think that's pretty accurate, actually. Um, I think one of the things to remember about Richard Dawson is that a lot of this stuff, he performs it live and he performs it a cappella. So I think when, when this album comes up, as much as I love it, I, I think it doesn't really do some of this stuff justice because when you've got like a, a suit 
um, bellowing man stripped to the waist sort of belting out these songs. You can imagine the impact they would have. Stop laughing. I'm feeling a bit sensitive because <laughs> I had a bit of a fruity dream about Richard. I'm not laughing at night. you. I'm laughing at the concept. I'm, <laughs> la- I, I can, I'm, I'm not good at picturing things in my head. I'm, my, my wife is well aware. I'm, I don't have a very good... I, if somebody says, oh, that character didn't look like who I, how I pictured him, I just go, I pictured shape that said character. But you just described that, and instantly I just saw bellowing slightly. I, you didn't say sweat, but in my head there's sweat. There's definitely. Um, I'm sure there's sweat. <laughs> there's definitely sweat. Yeah. Sorry, this has taken an unusual turn. I love Richard Dawson, but I don't love him in that way. I just want to make that clear. Uh, yeah, he's 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 a charismatic man. But yeah, I think genuinely that these songs um, that they lack. Uh, impact as a recorded thing, but I think this would be great to see live. Some of the tracks off here, which I think he, they have become part of his live set, and he does, you know, do them. I've heard he's quite. A, I've heard he's quite a raconteur, like not in terms of telling big stories, but he's very. He'll go off on segways and he'll he'll talk to the audience quite a lot, and he'll tell jokes or funny little anecdotes, whether they're real or surreal. Yeah. Um, so I, I imagine I can picture all of this. In some form of gig, but in a small gig in a small place. Yes, yes. I think I think probably the material best suits that kind of setting. Can I you can't really. R- Richard Dawson Stadium gig. Yeah, I can't see it oh, at Wembley God. at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah, some some people don't fit giant spaces. Yeah, yeah. Um, even if you think oh, there was one, I went to a latitude or latitude uh, one year and. Um, Joanna Newsom was playing in the middle of the day because she had to fly off. And it was about midday, 12 o'clock maybe, on the Sunday. And <laughs> I got there, and I was really excited. And she was trying out new stuff, and she kept forgetting the words. And about halfway through, I realized, I looked around, I thought, oh, my God, I'm just in a circle, in a, in a clump of maybe 40, 30 to 40-year-old men. And most of the men are shouting things like, go on, Joanna, you can do it. I'm thinking this is the most patronizing thing ever. <laughs> um, but the sound, the sound, and I've seen her, I saw her live at the Barbican. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. But the sound in a big field <laughs> didn't really work. And you felt that there were times she wanted to do something a bit more uh, personal mm. musically. The bits that you would lean in, you know, if you're yeah. in a venue and everyone goes, you lean in. And she, I don't think she could do that. And I can't imagine, I can't imagine, uh, I was going to say Dawkins. I can't imagine Dawson would be able to, uh, Dawson opening for Ed Sheeran at Wembley. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Nicks. Yeah. Nicks. Any Nicks? Nicks. No, but I think it's it's an interesting (laughs) point of comparison, though, isn't it? To sort of think about it as this is quite, it's quite intimate music. It it does call to be listened to in in a small space. And that's that's interesting, but um, yeah, I mean, this this album, taken in the context of of the whole sequence of albums, it feels a little bit to me like this is this is like Richard Dawson deconstructed, because you've got like the a cappella ones, and then you've got the ones that are just sort of these guitar numbers, and, and it almost alternates, doesn't it, throughout the album between him doing vocal stuff and him doing guitar bothering, but never at the same time, and um, I, I, I for me it it kind of works, but it's still it's not. It's not peak Dawson for me, but it's definitely well on the way to it. And there are some, I mean, have we, have we even mentioned poor old horse yet? 
I think we no, have to mention for all hope. Such oh my an God. incredible oh God. song. Yeah. Um, and 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 also the um, the ghost of a tree is terrifying. I think the kind of the vocal stuff going on in that that kind of chills me to the bone. Um, I, so you know, there's a lot of really really great stuff going on. But I think you're right. It, it doesn't go. Yeah, it, and I think deconstruct. I think you're right with the word deconstruct. Uh, you know, oh, you're on MasterChef. They go, here's a deconstructed apple pie. Here's some apple. Here's some pastry. No, I want them together. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, there's some nice guitar. There's some nice acapella. Can we just try? But, but also, like the way he talks about in, in interviews and things, I think that Zoe may have quoted about um, how he was discovering how to sing or, uh, or finding, finding his way to sing that was natural to him. And I find that really interesting because, yeah, there is at times where it's almost like, um, it's like he's a guy who can't sing, but singing with so much passion and feeling that it really doesn't matter at all. And I, like, I know I can't sing, so I massively identify with that. <laughs> Just, you know, um, there's something really almost quite beautiful about it. Like the moments that when, when one song, I think it's Joe the Quiltmaker, where his voice just gives out completely. It just, it just reduced to a croak, you know, mid, mid line, and things like that, that, that make it quite powerfully affecting to listen to. Um, and I sort of imagine the whole thing being a, a kind of how you might sing if you were absolutely certain you were alone, probably somewhere in Northumberland on, on a walking up a fell or something. You can't see anybody anywhere and you decide to have a little sing. That's how you might um, do it. Yesterday, we, we were listening to, um, uh, I can't remember which podcast it was, uh, um, uh, Richard Herring interviewing Johnny Vegas. And Johnny okay. Vegas was telling a story about how he was at a working men's club with his mum. He was a bit older. He'd gone back, and it was his turn to get up and sing something. I can't remember the exact song. And he thought, "I can't sing. The only thing I can do is belt it out with as much gusto as is humanly possible, and and style it out that way." And he said he did that. He felt quite proud of himself. And his mum went, "Sit down, <laughs> sit down." <laughs> <laughs> um, Nick, Nick T. Um, you said you had some... I haven't asked you a question about this. this. <laughs> no, no, just, just go. Um, uh, yeah. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, I, I, think, I think what's really interesting about this album to me is that, you know, for all the kind of... We can debate uh, for hours about, like, is Richard Dawson a folk artist? This, this album to me is kind of the, his, the quintessential... Richard Dawson can be described as a folk artist album because for a number of reasons, you know, you've got the, there's, there's, there's the, uh, there's, there's the sense of the kind of the oral tradition of passing down stories um, and, and how that's connected with the fact that it was, that this album was tied into originally a kind of an archival project with a, with a museum. Um, He almost kind of plays up to, the this sort of ye olde folk kind of bardian element you know in the in the very in the very first song um you know he's using words like floweth and thou and like it's it you know it's almost sort of a, an exaggerated version of 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 a, him being like right i'm gonna this is me being a a, a folk a folk singer quote unquote now um and and things like we and like poor poor old horse this idea of just sort of this the opening lines are kind of this almost gather round and let me tell you this let me tell you this tale kind of thing um 
but also just like in his in his delivery you know it sounds like uh to me it sounded not like not so much like the the, the way that you'd sing if you were kind of alone atop a mountain it it sounds like the the bloke at a like old folk pub who just everyone everyone's been like playing their fiddles and it's been a bit and it's been a bit raucous and then this and then and then the, the, the one this one guy who's been at this pub for years but has never really done anything just suddenly just starts <laughs> he just he's all he does is just sit in the corner nursing his pint all night and then suddenly half he pint, just half pint. Half pint, sorry half yeah pint. yeah and then he just suddenly starts belting out this belting out this tragic song um about you know about horses and ghosts and 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 murdered quilt makers and you just and and the whole pub is just sort of reduced to this reverent silence um this kind of beauty of it um and uh yeah and and so that's the sort of sense that i get from it is that it is just kind of a, a this this really raw um just basic idea of just like i'm i'm of just telling a story and wanting to get the and wanting to get these words out by any kind of means really um and uh and i just found yeah i just found it all very powerful and and moving um yeah no i think i, I think the word story as well I, I, even though this album might not be peak dawson uh it's where we first i first properly noticed it the storytelling as in each of them are becoming individual short stories that if you read in a book, totally removed, deconstructed from the music, you'd still go, wow, that's a really powerful short story or bit of prose. They're all about things. They're little vignettes of, of life that ring so true that you can picture a lot of these scenes. Um, I've got some references I'm going to hold off till the next episode, um, but I'm going to go over to Zoe about this. I mean, in terms of, yeah, I just want to. Yeah, I just want to. Okay, put a pin in that one. We'll talk. We'll come back to that. But I just want to talk about the the language that he uses and and how yeah there is a connection to folk. But I think actually what he was trying to do is tell the stories of the what was in the archives. It would be, it 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 would kind of lose something if he was using modern language to tell these stories. So I think that was probably a stylistic choice. I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know, but. I think if he wanted to accurately, he's gone down into the archives. He's reading all these stories of everyday people from the past. He kind of has to use that kind of language in order to convey the things that were happening, especially if he's drawing directly from text. So I, I think there was probably a conscious decision to do that. And also the thing about Bardic tradition where, you know, the, the bards would go around and, and sing the stories of the town just down the road so that information was passed. And I, I really get a sense of that, that he's doing that, that he's telling these stories in that kind of bardic tradition. I mean, I know bugger all about it, but I have an instinct. I don't know. It does sound lovely. That, sorry, it does sound lovely that like, in the past people would turn up and go, oh, down the road, this is happening. Whereas now people would turn up and go, obviously into my hometown, so this is a very local reference. West Bromwich is shit. Don't go there. There's a Greg's. Don't go to West Bromwich. It's shit. I mean, that's what you'd get now. Sorry, yeah. people from West Bromwich, but you don't really have a city centre. Um, Nick? No, so I was just going to say, I like how he does, as well as employing this like, really traditional language that, that, as you say, Zoe, is, is in keeping with 
uh, with wanting to tell the, the, these old stories. You know, he also he, he slips in lines about falling ass over tit um, halfway through the the final track as well. So he still manages to get these slightly more contemporary colloquialisms in mm. there that kind of that, that bring it that that bring it all back to um, writing in his own voice, really. Um, and yeah, I, I, I find that sort of thing really, really great. Yeah, like he says, uh, asshole of the world, doesn't he? In in Ghost of a Tree, which is always refreshing yeah. to hear a line like oh, that. There are there are some lyrics that come later that literally stopped me in the street. I, I stopped dead when, <laughs> and an old lady went, "That's <laughs> uh, I was like, no, 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 no. I'm like, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Um, there were literally some things that did stop me dead in my tracks. Um, okay. We are going to move on to Nothing Important, the album, not my, my sentiment, uh, which I would say is, is when we start to get proper experimental sounds wrong because it sounds like he's deliberately being experimental, but something different. Oh, oh, uh, oh before oh, yes. we move on, Rodri, Rodri's on, on the glass trunk. Oh, on the glass trunk. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Rodri's yeah. in there. So we've got to mention him because he, he I think he's quite important as far as um sort of building up the sound and he yeah. he's a nice counterpoint to the, you know like richard's avant-garde guitar playing because he's like an avant-garde harpist which i think is great i think it's brilliant and i love is all he, those is sounds. he on all the dawson albums from here on in um he's on he's on oh, i don't know if he's on nothing important but I, he's definitely on peasant mm-hmm. not sure if he's on 2020 that he might be he's, mm. and of course he's in he's um, in Pond- Pond- yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah okay i mean i i, I don't know I, I think for me nothing important is is where we hit what we, I, I don't know if i call it peak richard dawson because what comes after is so interesting and uh, as well but it was definitely the moment where i had a kind of my richard dawson epiphany when i was listening to this like i just i just totally fell in love with the whole universe that he's creating and I think following on from what we were talking about on the glass trunk with the the idea of storytelling is um, that literary side of Richard Dawson really comes to the fore on this album. Like you've got two long tracks that are with, well, two long tracks that have words, I guess. But they're um, you know you talk about like vignettes, you and it's like that whole thing where he tells the story of a life not lived through just little portraits. It's incredible and really powerful. Um, and and I think that's that's one of his biggest strengths. Uh, is is Richard Dawson as uh, you know? It's, it's a word I think we probably all cringe slightly to use, but he's he's a poet. He can, yeah. you can read you can read his lyrics on the page and and think, wow, that's really powerful stuff. Um, I was going to leave this to the next episode, but it, I, I, it's a perfect bit. Um, Daniel Kitson, he is Daniel Kitson. Um, Dan- Zoe's looking puzzled at me, either because you don't know who Daniel Kitson. Okay, Daniel Kitson, you, if you're not in the UK. You won't know him because he never does telly. Um, he, he, he was briefly in like a sitcom years ago. He hated the experience so much. Um, you can buy or stream a couple of live shows from his site. Um, he's considered to be the comedian's comedian, but he's not a comedian. He tells stories. He tells his wonderful, he totally gets, you believe this is his, the character that he's telling this story of. And a lot of the language I've heard from Dawson over the albums, I'm like, oh no, this this could come straight out of Daniel Kitson's mouth. Um, he is he is I would consider to a poet. He did a show last year about lockdown where he just read off post-it notes and told these little stories about his life during lockdown, and none of it was sort of big and grandiose. It was like 
getting obsessed with the kid who's in the street with the other kids, but that kid doesn't come from this street. You know, yeah, just the, the little of, yes. details of yeah. life. Yeah. And, and it was all from now, right up until you know, the stuff in the next episode, um, with one album's exception. I was like, this is Daniel Kitson. And I mean that in, 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 in the best possible way, yeah. as in I think Daniel Kitson is a genius uh, that surpasses, transcends his box, I guess. Um, and yeah, so for me, the whole storytelling and the vignettes and the believing this story that he has no right to, to be able to paint so well because he's not that, he's not this person. You know, so, uh, musicians generally can't do this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they write they, a song, you go, oh, yeah, it's a good song, but you don't, you don't totally buy into this little poem or little bit of prose and go, oh, yeah, I, I, tot- I can picture that kitchen yeah. or, or whatever. I, I think, think um, Kate, Kate. Sorry, um, who's the Kate the, Tempest? The, is it Kate, Kate Tempest? Tempest. Yeah. I think she does. A, I think there's a she does it in a very in a different way, but she is able to paint proper contemporary pictures and non-contemporary as well. Yeah, yeah. I think you've you've hit upon that thing where he's just he's doing something more with the medium of song than most people do. He's taking it a step further, isn't he? He's turning it into something else and something very powerful and literary. And, you know, something that really genuinely makes you think about it after you finish hearing the song. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I, I love, you know, Dua Lipa's album last year. I loved that. But I'm not going to spend like a week thinking about the lyrics of Levitating. You know, I love it. It's a bop. Me and my daughter, we have, you know, amazing moments singing it with each other and to each other. But it just doesn't have the the impact of, you know, a Richard Dawson song. And, and yes. I, I, I mean, Aaron Troy White, who comes on quite, uh, the pod quite regularly, he has stated quite clearly he's not a lyrics guy. For him, the vocal is an instrument. And I think, yes, yeah, sometimes, absolutely, sometimes some of my favourite songs lyrically are shocking. But then sometimes, I, again, with Jeffrey Lewis, who was on the, the, the show, writes such good words. And such good little couplets and plays around with the language that you're, you're like, yeah, I, I, I want to read this. I, I don't understand why most kids these days, they go, oh, but my music app also has lyrics. I don't, I don't want lyrics. Sometimes I really, I, this was the first time in a long time listening to uh, 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 Dawson stuff that I did go and Google the lyrics. And I never, I never did that. Yeah, he's, um, yeah, me too. As an aside though, I, I found this album really difficult. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. This 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 was my problem album. Why? Um I I think it's because I'm very simple. And I like short-ish, uh nicely contained things that I can go, oh that's nice. And occasionally finish the album with 10 minutes and I go, I go yeah, this is amazing. I'm fully invested. Um there was a lot of long and bit and house. I don't know Dawson enough. And I think this album is an album I might love. Six months down the line. Uh, on a week where I listened to nothing but Richard Dawson, um, there were some albums I listened to several times, multiple times. Uh, this one I found, it a bit, I, I tried to put it on again, I swear. Uh, oh, another okay, time. but it's only 44 minutes long, Ewan. Hang on a minute, are we listening to the same album? But yeah, no, fair enough. I, I, think, it was down, I, think, it's down, I think it's down to yeah. structure. Yeah. But that's it, it's the... Um, previous <laughs> regular listeners will know that sometimes I go, oh God, it's a 20 minute song. And I can get, sometimes that's amazing. And sometimes 
but it's usually an artist I'm invested in. But I'll go with that. Um, again, I, I hate to keep using the same references. Uh, Joanna Newsom has made some albums with four or five tracks on, and it took me a while. Um, okay. yeah. It does take me a while. I think this is, this is the most impenetrable album. Mm-hmm. Um, in, that, in a positive or a negative way, uh, other albums dr- dragged me in uh, or sucked me in immediately, or I was there, or two or three tracks in, I was in. This one, I sort of struggled a bit. Uh, it was almost like he'd gone, okay, next stage of Dawson, and sort of went full Dawson, and I was, I found it hard. I, not saying I didn't like it. There was definitely some lovely moments in there, uh, which is the one about where he gets injured on a school trip. Yeah, the vile stuff. The vile stuff. stuff. That's incredible. Yeah, I just, think that yeah. is out of sight. I can't yeah, say yeah. enough Brilliant. superlatives to describe that <laughs> song. I mean, I, I must have heard it, I don't know, remember how long ago now but i will still go and listen to that you know pretty much once a week for sure it's incredible so. it's insane yeah yeah um yeah. Well, i mean i like i said i just i found it more di- i found it the most inaccessible to get into but that's also <laughs> it's the things i like it's what's accessible to me it takes me a while to get into if you're doing a big track i either know you or you get me right away sure or I, it's, i'm six months down the line yeah. i'll come back yeah. Um, Nick's are looking like they sort of go, yeah, 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 politely, but I disagree. <laughs> no, I mean, I think if, um, if, some, if someone was to say, like, oh, I really, I've never heard Richard Dawson before, where should I start? I definitely wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't yeah. say start at nothing important, as, as, as amazing as I think it is, um, you know, unless I was sure that what they were really into was like big, squeaky, squelchy guitars and and uh yeah and and sort of kind of yeah epic poems set to set to impenetrable sounds i i wouldn't i i wouldn't turn them onto this album as a as a starting point um but i i think i think what's what was interesting to me about this about this album was that i think it's fair to say that it is definitely his most uh autobiographical um in every other uh in every other album, he's either you know, well, he's either setting, go, going on settings of like 400 AD, or he's um, or he's telling these little vignettes of uh, of British life, like like we'll get to in the in the next episode. Um, but I mean, he has basically gone on record and said that the that a huge a huge part of the vile stuff is lifted directly from his life, hasn't he? Um, yeah. Uh, and 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 the title track as well, which directly. Uh, deals with the the tragic story of her uh, is uh, of his of his sibling that um that passed away after a week um so i think yeah i don't i don't know what that says that this is this one album where he decides to put so much of himself out there and never really does it again or before um i don't i don't know what we what we think about that I think that's also. I mean, we've we've talked before on this pod about how, like, yeah, by album three, bands have run out of stuff to sing about. Like the first, the first album is usually about their life and how difficult their life is, maybe, and then they get the second one might be about love and relationships. The third one is usually about record executives, and then <laughs> yeah. by the fourth one, they've got nothing to do. He seems to have taken a couple of albums, then sang about his own life, and then he goes and sings about other people's lives. Like there's there's a conscious. This is the one. This is the one about me. I'm moving on. 
yeah. <laughs> and talk about yeah. other people. Well, it's, it's in Rather places, it's quite, I mean, you could argue that it's quite a harrowing album and maybe it was just yeah. too painful. It was just not a mode he could stay in, really. He did it, he put it out there, and, uh, you know, it's quite a powerful thing to listen to. But once once that was done, it's kind of like, right, moving on from that now. That's uh, But at the same time, I think him as the storyteller has come, was totally starting to come together. But up until this point, you've still got this almost like alternate, this is my... This is my uh, bit where I tell a story, and this is me just with the guitar. And he, it seems to be, it doesn't get to the ne- next album where he works out how to put all that together in one coherent thing. This feels like his, if he was a comedian, um, this feels like his Edinburgh Fringe breakout show that everybody goes, oh my God, I came out crying. Uh, but he's, he's not winning the award. He's not winning the Perrier or whatever that is. Um, he's, get, he's getting loads of good reviews, and he comes back, with a proper show next year, but this is the one where he's sitting there going, my life <laughs> to everybody in a small, <laughs> small room in Edinburgh. I think people definitely started to take notice after this, like proper, he started to get, you know, the usual kind of, um, that, you know, let's be honest, that this is not going to be on Radio 1, but there are definitely uh, music journalists and people who go to live shows and things like that who was really starting to say, hey, this guy's pretty special. You should check him out. And what year was this, more or less? 2014. Okay. Yeah, so can I quote one of the lyrics before we move on? Because I yeah. love this. There's a bit where he goes, my neighbour Andrew lost two figure, fingers to a staffy cross whilst jogging over Cow Hill with a pepper army in his bum bag. He's a junior partner at James and James, no win, no fee solicitor, thinking of relocating to a Buddhist monastery in Halifax. I mean, like, how do you put that into a song and make it sound so fucking good? I mean, Um, it just sounds so good. Yeah. But also, again, that could be Daniel Kitson. This is what stunned me out the whole thing. Daniel, if that was in, if that was in, because a lot of his, a lot of his shows, he's done comedy shows, but a lot of them are a story. Yeah. Either he find he finds some letters in a loft and he's reading yeah, so he's one. telling the story of the letters or these these tapes, he's found all these lost tapes and he creates his story from that. And his wordplay and his storytelling, everything we we're talking about with Dawson and Kitson, there isn't it, this is maybe a a very British way of telling a story, I don't know. But um the two of them seem to be soulmates uh, a lot of the time, particularly in this sort of uh, vignette of, of of actual life of of you know life in Yorkshire or Bradford or Hull or, or Somerset. You know. I, I don't think a lot of people do touch upon that. Mm. This is probably a good time to wrap up uh, this episode of Richard Dawson, and I hope that those of you listening at home are intrigued enough to know where we go next. Um, please come back; it's worth it. Um, thank you very much for everything today. Uh, Nick, T- Nick T, Nick Taylor of My Teenage Nick. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> and, and Zoe, um, well, thank you as ever and see you in the next episode. Indeed. Bye. 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 first time I heard Dawson's Nothing Important, it was in the depths of winter and at the height of the second wave of the pandemic. 
I was walking in an unfamiliar part of the city and it was so cold I was worried the sheen of condensation on my glasses might turn to ice. I could barely see. If I'm blindsided by an unseen trolley bus, I thought, these are the guitar squalls to which I'll die. Would that be so bad? The soundtrack is cinematic. The light is good. And so my soul ascends to the final track. Oh, piss off! Since when have you had a soul? Yes, yes, in a voice that contails me from these flights of fancy. But look, it's called Doubting Thomas. How apt to tune for when a wretched atheist dies and we see his soul ascend. Well, not see exactly. I'm not that kind of imaginary filmmaker. It's more a slow upward camera tilt. The sky is cloudless. Just a vast expanse of entirely made-up souls. Up they bloody well go. Yeah, Richard Dawson brings out the worst in me. But thank you for indulging us for what I felt was an important episode about an artist I want everybody to enjoy. And if you did enjoy it, please consider showing us some support, whether it's via our Patreon at patreon.com slash tempfans, or just leaving a review, subscribing, or telling people about what we do. It just remains for me to thank everybody. Zoe Von Hess for our excellent introductions, Nick Taylor of My Teenage Band for joining us for the group discussion, I've said it before, but My Teenage Band is an excellent podcast, and you should go and listen to it. Thanks to my grandiloquent co-host Ewan for chairing the discussion and editing the show together. And to Jonathan Fisher for our exquisite theme music. And you for listening. Join us next week for Richard Dawson Part 2, which will also include his gorgeous alt-pop side project, Hen Oglav. Until then, I'm Nick Hilditch, and I found a pair of clogs in the lane, some drops of blood where they had lain, and following the breadcrumbs I came upon the dreadful remains of Joe the Quiltmaker.